Good morning, everyone. My name is David. I'll be reading the Bible today for us. Um, and our Bible reading comes from John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. And you can follow along with me with the church Bibles we have at the back table there, in your own Bible, or on the screen behind me. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my Father, and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself and my glory means nothing, my father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Good to be with you again, friends. Um, let me tell you that story then. I recently spoke to a guy, he was in his 20s, and he was talking about growing up. And if I told you that I felt like growing up, I, I, I was probably a bit confused. This guy, he, he described to me growing up, and it sounded like his, for him, worlds were just colliding. Uh, he came from a Hindu family, but he'd been sent to a Christian high school. And even though he was there, most of his friends didn't believe in any God. Um, so he kind of, this, this, for him, a whole bunch of worlds are colliding for him. And eventually, you know, he grows up, he gets old enough to make decisions for himself. And he has all sorts of questions about this. Like, how do I know anything about God? Which God do I choose to follow? Is there no God at all, perhaps? How does anyone figure this question out? And this guy, he was really keen to figure out an answer. So he decided to look into all of them. First, he looks into Hinduism, digs into that. What does it mean? What is it saying? Uh, and then come, we'll deal with Christianity. What is it claiming? What, how do I understand about it? Uh, what about atheism? That, maybe that next, and dig through that. He gets to the end of it and realizes, actually, there's a whole lot more here, isn't there? What about, uh, should I check out Islam and Judaism and the Sikh religion and so on and so on and so on? It's a fascinating conversation. And this guy was obviously very uh, studious. Like he, he, he wanted to figure things out. He was reading over lots and lots of material because he realized it's actually really important, isn't it? Whatever he chose from there, it was going to mean big things for the rest of his life. How do you choose a God? Did you just choose the one that you like the best? Did you choose the one that your parents chose? Choose the one that 
Maybe most, the one that makes most sense to you. Or perhaps you're like the person I read about in this book. The book is called A Spectator's Guide to World Religions. Uh, and in here, the author talks about overhearing a conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up for you from the book. He says, I once overheard a group of, quite obviously, non-religious 20-somethings discussing things spiritual. They were guests at a rather loud dinner party on the balcony next door, and short of leaving the balcony I was on, it was difficult not to eavesdrop. In the course of conversation, one of the guests offered a personal evaluation of Western religion compared with Eastern religion, and with Buddhism in particular. He said with confidence, Western religion is too full of commandments for me. I prefer the Buddhist system. It doesn't have any of those onerous rules. Is that how you make a decision about which God, the one that has least effect on your life, the one who tells you less to do? Well, see, in our church at the moment, like Anya has told us, we're doing this series, What Do You Think God Is Like?, Earlier this year, we spent some time asking our friends that question. It was really quite interesting to do this. And we got stacks of great responses, lots of really fun conversations along the way. And now we're taking the top responses that we got, and we're spending four Sundays talking about them. And a lot of the responses we got were actually about different gods. That is, not the Christian God. So a Hindu woman spoke about the many gods of her religion and the one God behind them all who is unknowable. Or one Muslim friend spoke about God being all-merciful and ever-present because that's how Muslims understand Allah. Or a Sikh person responded and said, I don't know what your God is like, but, but I'm a Sikh. Let me tell you about my religion. And so on and so on. Lots of great good conversations. So today we're just going to explore this idea. There's, there's so many gods out there, many different religions out there and worldviews. So when we talk about God, which God are we talking about? And like the first guy mentioned before, how could we ever know which God to follow? That's where we're headed today. Uh, to get us started, I want to tell you about a time I went door knocking. Yes, I've been one of those people who bangs on your door and wants to chat about Jesus before. And a lot of the time, actually, you, you end up meeting some really wonderful people and having some great conversations that often go for a long time. Uh, like this time, I want to tell you about, I was with a friend. Uh, it was the first door we knocked on, and a lady answered the door, and she invited us in, and we ended up speaking to her for an hour or so. Uh, she described herself as having lots of spiritual ideas, and we talked a lot about Jesus, but she, she ended up saying something that it's just, it's just stuck with me through the years. This is what she said. She said, imagine there's, there's an elephant, and around the elephant there are, there are these blind men, and, and each of the blind men grab hold of one part of the elephant. The first guy, he's got one of the elephant's legs and he, he's holding on to it. He says, yeah, oh, this thing, it's, it's big and it's round and it's, it's very hard and it's also connected to the floor. I can feel it going all the way down to the ground there. The second guy, though, he happens to be holding on to the trunk and he says, oh, no, you're wrong, right? This, this thing, it's, 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 it's round, but I can fit my fingers around it. My hands go around it, and, but it's squishy as well. And, and it's not that be and it reaches upwards it doesn't come from from down below the third guy is holding on to the tail he's like oh no this thing is tiny i can fit my fingers around this and 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 and, and it's also like got a hairy bit on it and and it's really quite small it also smells back here a bit anyone notice that and she said that's what the different religions are like 
people, we're blind. We can't properly see God. None of us can fully know what he's like. And so we're just describing him the best we can. So the, the different religions, we, we, we might say some different things to each other, but ultimately we're all talking about the same thing, the same God. Perhaps you've heard of something similar before. A, a similar point is made by people talking about mountains. You know, they'd say um, there's lots of different ways to climb a mountain, lots of different paths you can take, but all of them lead to the same point, the top of the mountain. So both the elephant and the mountain, they're ways of describing religion that ultimately say we're on about the same God. Let's be honest for a moment. There is something really appealing about this, isn't there? Because it means we don't have to be so worried about our disagreements and differences. We can forget about the differences. And in the end, whatever or, or whoever you worship, it'll end up being well for you. We don't really have to worry about which one. Just go and choose the God that you like best and go all in. Go all in with that God. There's something about that that sounds really quite nice, isn't there? It's appealing. It's easy to see why we would want this to be true. But if you think about it, it doesn't, doesn't actually make sense. There might be Plenty of similarities between some of the religions and philosophies and worldviews. But, but the, the, the major religions, they, they have big disagreements. Big disagreements on the core beliefs they hold. How many God or gods are there? What is the nature of, of, of this God or gods? Who are we as humans? What is the purpose of our life? How are we supposed to live our lives? What happens after we die? These are all massive disagreements, differences. There's, religions are not the different paths climbing up the same mountains. They, they can't because the paths are going in totally different directions. They're climbing totally different mountains. And actually, think about it a bit more. If we say these differences don't matter, then we're not really listening to the different people who hold the different faiths, are we? I know you'd never do this, but imagine for a moment walking up to a Hindu friend and, and you say to them, look, I know we're friends, but... But let me just be honest with you. The things that make you a Hindu and not a Buddhist, they don't really matter all that much. Why don't you just forget about them? You'd never say that, would you? You would never go to a Muslim friend and say to them, oh, friend, look, the things that make you a Muslim and not a Jew, they don't really matter all that much. Let's just leave them behind and forget about it, can we? No, you'd never do that, right? Because it would be so arrogant. You'd be assuming that you know their faith better than them. It'd be like having a friend who loves cats and, and, and you want to get a, a gift for, for this friend. And so one day you bring her and you bring her a dog and you say, you've got to love this. You love this dog. You say, no, no, I'm a, I'm a cat lover. Why have you bought me a dog? You say, no, no, no. Look at all the cats around your place. They all have four legs and a tail. And this thing has four legs and a tail too. So you'll love it, right? No, no. It's, it's a completely different thing. As nice as the idea of the blind man and the elephant is, as appealing as that is, that the, the, these religions are all really on about the same God, when you think about it, it, it just can't be true. Which, which leaves us actually where we started then. How do you figure out which God? How do, how do you know what God is like? How do you figure out which God to follow? To help us here... Uh, 
I'm, I'm going to come at this obviously from a Christian point of view. I want to take us in the next few moments to just do a quick dive into some to, in, into Christianity and show you how a Christian might answer that question. Here's the big thing that Christianity says. You don't have to reach up and strive and try your best to know what God is like. Because God has actually showed up in our world. He has reached down to us to tell us who he is and what he's like. And he does this through Jesus. Did you know Jesus claimed to be God? Perhaps he did. In the Bible, that's exactly what he does. Uh, um, in the Bible, you, you see this in, in Jesus' life. He talks as one with great authority, not like other religious teachers. He does God-like things in front of crowds of people. These are miracles, you know, the, the feeding of the, of, of the multitude of people, the healings and so on. Other people said this about Jesus too. For example, uh, in John chapter 20, we meet Thomas who says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And of course, you see this in Jesus' own words too. I want to take us back to that part of the Bible that David read out for us just before. Uh, again, this is from John's Gospel. John was one of the earliest people to start following Jesus. And so he spent, for as long as Jesus was basically doing things in public, John was following him. And later, John writes about it all for us. Uh, that's John's Gospel. And, and at this point, we're in John chapter 8. Jesus has just been involved in a, a, a long discussion, or really an argument, with some of the Jewish leaders who were called just the Jews here. See, Jesus has been saying that he can give eternal life to people. And the Jewish leaders didn't like this. And so what they start, they, they start by trying to undermine him. They call him a Samaritan. Now, when we often think of a Samaritan, we think of someone good because we know of the good Samaritan, right? But back then, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The, 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 they were enemies. And so, so here, uh, they call, the Jewish leaders call Jesus a Samaritan to try and write him off. They say he's demon-possessed. And they also say, Jesus, remember some of our greats from the past. Remember Abraham and the prophets, right? These guys are greats, and they died. Jesus, you're a nobody. How can you say that you're going to give eternal life when the greats of our faith, they couldn't even do this? Jesus doesn't back down. He says, Abraham, yes, he is a great, but do you know what? Abraham rejoiced. When he saw my day, Abraham rejoiced when he saw what I'm doing. The Jewish leaders say, no, 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 you mean you are crazy, right? You're not even 50. And it's probably true. Jesus was probably in his early 30s at this point. They say, yeah, Abraham, he's been dead for ages. Like we're talking 2,000 years or more. And how can you say Abraham saw your day? How can you say Abraham knows what you're doing? He's been dead and buried ages ago. And then something really quite strange happens. I'm going to read it out again. This is John uh, chapter 8, starting at verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Really, there's two strange things in this passage. Firstly, did no one teach Jesus about grammar? Before Abraham was born, I am. That doesn't even make any sense. Come on, Jesus, get your grammar right. And secondly, 
what makes the Jews want to kill Jesus all of a sudden? I mean, they've been talking for a while. Is it that they're just sick of this at the end of it and want to throw him stones to end the conversation? They've had enough? It seems like a bit of an overreaction here, doesn't it? But actually, these two things are related. This is not just bad grammar. Jesus here, he's making a claim. So there's a bit of background to this. In the Old Testament, um, uh, this is the time before Jesus was alive, there's a guy called Moses. Perhaps you've heard of him before. And in the Old Testament, Moses meets God, and God tells Moses his name. I am. That's the name of God. And here is Jesus, and he uses that name for himself. He says, I am. Jesus here, it's not bad grammar. He's claiming to be God. And the Jewish leaders, they understand this. That's why they pick up the stones to kill him. For for a man to call himself God is not okay. That is blasphemy. That is worth death. Because a man cannot say he is God. And yet that is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I am God in the flesh standing right in front of you this day. At this point, it's worth clarifying something. Jesus isn't saying that he is a second God or a different God or a a new God on the block. This is where the idea of the Trinity comes from. The God of Christianity is Trinity. That is three in one. Uh, Christians say that, that, that God is one, one being, one God. But he's also three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is not three gods, three different gods, but, but the one God who exists as three persons. And maybe you're sitting there and thinking, well, that's just crazy, isn't it? That sounds so complex and out of this. What, how did anyone come up with this idea? And well, Maybe it is quite complex and difficult. But, but when you think about it, this is God we're talking about. Surely there are things about him that should be hard for us to understand. After all, he is God and we are his creatures. And here we see Jesus claim to be God. The son, the second person of the Trinity. And he's come to us as a human being. And if this is true, friends, it has big implications. It means that we don't need to search out God by our human efforts to know who he is. Because God has reached out to us. He's become one of us so that we can know him. That means that we're not the blind men reaching out trying to describe whatever part of the elephant we happen to hold on to. And the claim of Christianity is that the elephant has actually spoken. God has told us what he is like. What we need to do now is listen. Christianity says, if you want to know God, look to Jesus, because there is God in the flesh. Can I keep going with this quick dive into Christianity? Uh, uh, Perhaps there's one more thing that's worth me saying. Um, Most religions in the world, right, they describe how to live, like there's a moral code to them. But there's far more than that. You can't just reduce a religion down to its moral code. Most religions, they have some kind of um, goal or or, or purpose, some aim or destination that that you want to end up for, that you aim for. So let me me explain what I mean. Um, If you're a Muslim, where you want to end up is at paradise, right? 
If you're a Buddhist, you want to reach the state of nirvana. For a Hindu, you want to be released from this cycle of reincarnation and return back to Brahman. And for Christianity, uh, well, we want, we want to reach the, the new creation with our new, perfected, resurrected bodies. So that is, the religions have something that they're aiming for. But then also, each religion tells you how to get there. Uh, the Muslim wants to be in paradise, so she submits herself to Allah and keeps the five pillars of the Muslim faith. That's what she has to do. The Buddhist wants to reach a state of nirvana, so he seeks enlightenment. He seeks to end his cravings and desires in this world, and so he follows the eightfold path, things like right understanding, right aim, right speech, etc. The Hindu wants to be released from the cycle of reincarnation, and so she can follow one of three paths, the path of duty, the path of knowledge, or the path of devotion to a particular god, which is the one that most Hindus follow. That's what they do. Now, quick aside here, I'm not saying this to pay out on the other face. That's not what I want to do at all. Um, I'm trying to just be really fair and and give a a fair assessment of of what the, the faiths are saying. And I also just want to point out one way that Christianity is different. Did you notice in Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, in in all the religions, that you you reach your goal, you get to where you hope to go, how it's it's by what you do. You keep the five pillars, you follow the eightfold path, you devote yourself to God, and so on and so on. It's about what you do, right? This is where I think Christianity is, is very different. Christians are aiming to get to the new creation, but they don't get there by what they do. They get there by what's been done for them. Most religions, they'll talk about something that stops you reaching the goal. There's a problem with humanity. And for Christianity, that problem is sin. That is where I reject God. In my life, I I say no to him. And I decide, no, 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 God, you tell me this, but I don't want to do that. I want to run life my way for a bit. Just give me a bit of room, please. Get out of here. And so you might think what Christians need to do then is to, well, maybe stop sinning, right? That, that, then, then they'll be okay with God. Or maybe, they, maybe Christians need to have less sin, do, do sin less, and do good things more so that their good things outweigh their bad things, right? Or maybe if they do sin, Christians need a way to atone for the sin, to make up for it, to work it off somehow. Something like that, right? That, that's what you might think. But no, Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what's been done for us, and especially what Jesus has done for us. In the Bible, it talks about Jesus living a perfect life. That is, he did not sin. He did not reject God in any way. And yet he died. He died quite young, in his, in his early 30s. But more importantly, he died under God's wrath, God's anger. He died taking punishment for sin. You think, well, why? Because Jesus, you just said before, Jesus didn't do sin. I said, that's right. Yes. Not because he did but because we did. Jesus stepped in as our substitute to take our place. Who here knows about Hunger Games? Who read them, seen the movies? as wildly, wildly popular book series, movie franchise. Uh, Let me tell you a bit about Hunger Games. Um, It's set in a post-apocalyptic world. We're in a place called Pan Am. Uh, In Pan Am, there's the capital city, called, very creatively, the capital. 
Um, and it's full of wealthy people. And outside the capital are these 12 districts. These are poorer areas, um, but they're ruled by the capital still. At some point in the past, the 12 districts rebelled against the capital. And there was a big war, but the capital won. The districts were defeated. And a cruel form of punishment began. To remind the people in the districts of, of their rebellion, to stop it ever happening again, each year now, the 12 districts have to give up two tributes. One boy, one girl, both aged between 12 and 18. They're selected by a lottery. Um, they pull out someone's name from, from a, a barrel of balls. And they're forced to fight then in the Hunger Games, which is a battle to the death until only one victor remains. And in the course of the story, we meet someone called Katniss. She's 16, although if you've seen the movies, you wouldn't think she's 16 because she's played by a 20-year-old. Anyway, she's supposed to be 16, and she lives in District 12, which is the poorest of all the districts. Her dad has died recently. Her mum's not been well ever since. And so Katniss, for the last few years, has been responsible for bringing up her younger sister, whose name is Primrose. Yes, they all have really weird names as well. Uh, Primrose has just turned 12. And it's nearly time for the next Hunger Games battle, and so the, the day of the reaping, the, the lottery happens. And whose name is drawn out for District 12 for the girls? It's, it's the little sister, it's Primrose. Now Katniss, the older sister, she knows this means death for her little sister. So in this moment of love and, and protective instinct, she, set, she yells out, I volunteer, I volunteer, I volunteer to be the tribute. As she volunteers to step in and take her sister's place. She now goes into the battle of the death so her sister can go free. Friends, that is what Jesus does for us. He steps in for us. He becomes our substitute at exactly the right time we need it. Look at how one part of the Bible puts this. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that is Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God. Jesus suffers for sins. He takes the punishment. Not his punishment, our punishment. Jesus takes the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to, to bring us back to be right with God. Do you see there? Fundamentally, Christianity is not about what I do. It's about accepting what Jesus has done for me already. Why mention this? Because this is the heart of the Christian message. Because it shows us, I think one way that Christianity is very different from, from, from the rest of the world's religions. Not about do, but about done. But also, doesn't this show you exactly what the Christian God is like? I said before, gracious is the thing that comes to mind. He's a gift giver, and that is what we see here. He, he, he's merciful, he's caring, he's loving. It's, it's quite stunning, isn't it? I should move to wrap things up, though. I realize today I couldn't possibly have given you, uh, you know, undying, unending proof that the Christian God is the, is the real God, the God you should follow. You know, we could go on and talk about some things like you know, the evidence for Jesus rising from the dead again. 
uh, the reliability of the Bible and how it hasn't been changed over time. All sorts of other things. And if you'd like to have those conversations, do tap me on the shoulder, catch me later, it'd be fun. But as we think about which God, I hope today you've seen two things. If you want to know what the Christian God is like, there's one place to go, and that is to Jesus. Look at him. Second thing, one big difference between the Christian God and other gods is this. With the Christian God, it's not about what you do. You don't have to follow a set of laws, rules, commands, whatever. With the Christian God, it doesn't start with what you do. It starts with what Jesus has already done for you. And as you've seen these two things, I hope it's been enough that, that maybe it'll provoke the question for you. Could Jesus be God in the flesh? What if that is true? Perhaps that's right to end by suggesting a couple of next steps. Um, whether you're currently following a different God or maybe you're a skeptic. Uh, but, but if you wanted to look more into Jesus, what could you do? I'll say three things really quickly here. One, you're probably here today because a Christian friend invited you along. So why not ask them about Jesus? Ask them why they follow Jesus. What convinced them? What do they love about him? Secondly, why not read about Jesus for yourself? I've talked a couple of times about uh, John's Gospel, right? Now, up on the back table, there are these books that look like this. They're just It's a copy of John's Gospel on its own. It's about 50 pages, not real big. You can you just grab one of these, take it home, it's yours, uh, and look, look at Jesus for yourself. Give it a read. Check out Jesus for yourself and see what you think by the end of it. Third possible next step you could do, come along to the Life Series. Now, Andrew's going to talk about this more in a little bit. Um, but Life is something we do. We, it, run, it runs over four weeks. We're going to get together on four Mondays. It's down at a pub somewhere. It's, it's a pretty relaxed kind of thing. And we'll just talk about the, the, the key things about Christianity, the core things about Christianity. You can ask any question you want. If you prefer just to sit back and take it all in, you can do that. And at the end of it, it'll give you a really good basis to be able to make a call about Jesus for yourself. There's three next steps you could follow. Uh, it's time for me to step down, though. Why don't I end by, by praying? Let me pray. Our loving God, our gracious God, our kind God, we thank you that you've shown us what you're like through Jesus. We thank you for Jesus and the way he steps in as our substitute. So I wanted to pray, Father, for all of us who are here today. Wherever we're at with you, please help us know what the right next step to take is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.